I know. We should just Lock extend Talk it. Radio. Uh, no. You can always mute her and just keep talking. This. this I mean, we don't have to play the intro. Yeah, <laughs> everybody knows who we are. Yeah. We can yeah, just go yeah, right into uh, the show. And here we are. Is all about wine. The talk show dedicated to the wine industry since 2009. Featuring winemaker, cellar master, vineyardist, and tasting expert, Ron. Basically what we're trying to do on this program is just trying to educate people and trying to make wine less confusing and more friendly. From coast to coast and around the world. The world. You know, we really have had some neat people on the program. I, I just, I love that. Post your questions and comments during the live show on our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash allaboutwinebtr. Again, that's www.facebook.com forward slash allaboutwinebtr. All About Wine is on. Here's Ron. Okay. Oh, bus people are thrilled to pieces. It is beautiful weather here in Florida tonight. And yep. In fact, yeah, it is so beautiful. I grabbed the computer and I'm sitting in uh, the porch, on the porch, I should say, in the porch, on the porch. Doing the show on the porch? I'm doing the like show outside? on the porch. Like outside on the porch? Well, it's a screen yeah. porch, but uh, sure. I, I am You're still out there. Yeah. I'm still out there. Well, in the summer, it's just too hot, you know. I mean, it's just uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And in the winter, uh, most of the time, it's just too cold to sit out comfortably on the on the porch. Well, tonight... I, I stepped outside and I went, oh my gosh, this is gorgeous out here. And so yeah. I I told the engineer. Yeah, you haven't said, done that um, when we were in the 20s or 30s, whenever that was. No. You guys got no. into. Yeah, no. Definitely not that, the time that to do that. But would yeah, not have happened, I guarantee you. Well, <laughs> tonight it was just like, yeah. oh, it is gorgeous out here. So I. Yeah. Told, told the engineer, I said, I'm going to take the computer out to the porch and do the show from the wow. porch. And she goes, oh, okay. So <laughs> I am doing it from the porch. A new new location tonight. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah. So so beautiful out here. I had to do it. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I had to do something. Haven't been playing haven't been playing golf, so I had to do something to enjoy this beautiful weather. I am playing golf tomorrow, though, so I'll, I'll get back on, on on the golf. All right. Uh, um, well, no guests. I've been. We, we okay. didn't have a guest last week. They did email me about a quarter till seven, and I didn't see it. I, you know, at a quarter till seven, I usually don't check, you know, the emails coming in and I missed it. Besides that last week, I was so late. I, I, what was it? About a minute till that I, I came on because my sister was visiting and I started to visit with her and all of a sudden I went, oh no. And I went running. So that's another reason why I didn't check the email. Yeah. Um, so. We have no guests tonight. I'm 
corresponding with like three people. So it looks like February might might be a busy month. Um, everyone's taking a long time to get back and forth. It takes me a couple of days for some reason because I just don't check it as fast as I should. And then they take it a couple of days to check back. So looks like February we're going to get guests. Very good. So we got that to look forward to. And uh, before I forget it, too, every Saturday morning, Mike is live on Flightline Radio. So be sure to tune in to him. And uh, he's uh, always entertaining and enjoyable and informative. So, which is. One of the informatives that he just told me was the fact that the uh, what would you call the shop that it's a uh, yeah it's it's um, it's called Joe's Picker Place they uh, they they do antiques they have uh, uh, collectible items they have some handmade items um, it's just a, a unique store and I, I I tell people about it like every Saturday just you know, support local businesses. Don't, you know, just stay away from the big box stores. You're not going to find anything unique there. Everybody's got it. Um, but uh, right. I've been in there and, and uh, find all kinds of cool stuff. They're like little jewelry things that they'll have uh, uh, things for the home um, that are, you know, sometimes hard to find, but uh, they go out and pick places and then put it in their store. And I found out they were closing. And I believe this is the last, this is the last week, so um hadn't been open very long, but there there's not a lot of parking there, and I think that might have hurt things i I don't know, but um yeah it's it's just a hopefully they'll find if you listen place, to but, uh, to Mike on uh, Flightline <laughs> radio, then you would have heard him talk about it before too, because I remember once he started telling me, I said, oh yeah, and you talk about that a lot, so um, but maybe a new place. If that's the case, then uh, yeah. Joel will get a new shout out from all of us. Yeah. <coughs> yeah. Actually, uh, it's actually um, run by Donna, um, mm-hmm. and uh, she she, she gave a um, kind of an interesting story about how they got the name Joe. It's a uh, um, for it, it goes back a ways, but uh, it's it's just a she's the one who operates it, and runs it, and, and just did that as a as a um, what do you call it a commemorative uh, a re- remembrance thing of uh, I believe it was her son. So I, I got to mm. go back oh, to the okay. story, but uh, yeah, I dedicated to him. Yeah, um, but uh, yeah, it's um, it used to be called Picker Joe's. I think there was a copyright issue from another business and. <laughs> We made it to um, place. Yeah, there's some some bad things going on. <laughs> you oh, picked the I wrong know. name. <laughs> yeah, no, they or jump things, on you, you know, so fast. Yeah, you know. anything close. Too, oh yeah, it, it happened. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I thought you had a story. Maybe you didn't have a story like that. I thought there was a. Story. Oh yeah, Something I did. Yeah, at the winery. Yeah. About it. To, yeah. It's um. Uh, we in <clears> 2009 <throat> when we opened. We registered all the names and everything with the proper authorities, the, the federal TTB. You know, you got to register your wine names with the TTB, and we registered them there. Also, local, the state of Florida requires us to have these names because 
you know, so no one else in Florida will pick the same name and all that. So we had everything registered in 2009. Then in 2000, uh, 2014, no, 2013 mm -hmm. it was, early 2013, we got a letter from a winery in Virginia stating well, actually from a lawyer, cease and desist using the name Plantation Blush. Oh, that's right. Yeah, it was about the yeah. Yeah, like, what? Plantation Blush. And I'm going, cease and desist. And the letter went on to say, and while you're at it, quit using Plantation Red, Plantation uh, White, and Plantation uh well, spice, I guess those are the four plantations we use. And it said, you know, but right now, stop the blush. Well, hmm. I'm going, what the, you know? And I uh, got a hold of uh, the uh, local lady who does the, uh, the local TTB representative here in Florida uh, out of Tampa. I got a hold of her, and I, I told her about this letter. I said, do I have to stop using this now? And is this legal? Is what's going on here? And she goes, we have no other name in Florida registered as plantation. So as far as Florida goes, you're clear. She said, you need to find out when they registered the name and when you registered the name with TTB and whoever registered it first actually has the uh, the name naming rights. And, you know, this was in Virginia. They're not going to be distributing across the country. I'm in Florida. I'm not distributing across the country. These are we're just local. I am sure there are other wineries using plantation, uh, you know, without question that there are others because it's a common name for southern wines so i got a hold of the one of the uh one of the people involved with the winery uh was a lawyer and i got a hold of him and i said i want you to write me a letter and i told him what i wanted in the letter and he goes okay he says let me know you know where to send it what you want and i'll get it out well i got a hold of TTB uh, Federal, and I said, when did I register my name for Plantation Blush? And she goes, well, we showed here on record as December, or no, it wasn't December, it was before then. It's right after 9-11, so it was uh, 2009, so it was like uh, September, uh, middle of September 2009. And she says, that's your restoration. So I called the winery in Virginia. And I said, when did you open? I'm, I'm just curious. I didn't say who I was or anything. It just, it was, I think it was just some, some person that was working in the tasting room. Anyway, I said, when did you open? They said, oh, we've been open now for five years. And I thought, okay, thank you very much. <laughs> I just ignored it. I didn't do anything more because we beat them by like 12 years, 
and so there was no reason to for me to pursue it in any way shape or form because we had already beat them and if they wanted to pursue it it would just been foolhardy of them so i just ignored it and that was it that was the last i ever heard of anything never got another letter saying you're not ceasing and desisting and never got any more letters about anything it just that was the end of it so but they probably found out that we were using plantation on our names and they were using it also and so they figured they would you know give their lawyer who they probably have on retainer something to do and it just it ended there so that was it so but that was that was ex a little bit of excitement in the wine business you know getting a decease and desist letter you know so oh, yeah Yes, I thought there was something more to that. I was like, yeah, I remember, I remember the story long, long time yeah. ago when we last heard yeah, about long that. Time ago. Yes, we did. I'd forgotten about that too. You just now mentioned it too, and then I, the whole thing came back to me. Yeah, yeah. So now, yeah. so, but you know, that's that happens. They they search for stuff. Don't call it that. We're, that's our name. We have copyright on that and stuff, you know. And you're going, wait a minute, it's just, just a name. Nobody's going to confuse us, you know. That's like McDonald's, you know, tells people to quit using Mech, whatever, all the time. And uh, <laughs> yeah, so hmm. yeah, but that's my last name. You can't do that. Yeah. Right? Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's what they so, do. Try to put a stop to it. They do. There we you go. Know, you know, Disney World's very good at that stuff too. Trying to put a stop to anything oh, yeah. that, you know. Yeah. Uh, in fact, uh, Mickey Mouse becomes. Excuse me. Mickey Mouse becomes uh, standard property this year. I think doesn't it? Um, what it, what's it called there? The yeah. copyright for Mickey Mouse is up this year, so. Yeah, I, can, uh, I think it's the public domain, but it's it's only the original Mickey, not uh, not the current the steam, version yeah, of it. Yeah, Steamboat uh, Willie, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's it. Um, that's the only. Thing. <laughs> like, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, and already, yeah. most people never heard of Steamboat mm -hmm. Willie anyway, so it's no big deal. <laughs> Okay, well, we've talked about, you know, a quarter of the show about stuff that is absolutely useless. Um, <laughs> we, uh, I'm broadcasting from the garage. I keep wanting to say garage because I always pass through it. I'm never on the porch. I'm casting from the back porch tonight because the weather is gorgeous here in Florida. Uh, and, well, in this area of Florida. And so because of that, I decided that I would bring the computer outside here and, well, it's not really outside, it's a screen porch, but bring the computer out here and do a show from out here. And the temperature gauge, I have one out here, says 76. So at 7 o'clock or 7.15 at night, 76 degrees is not bad. With apologies 
to everyone around the country who's listening to this now or will be listening to it over the next couple of weeks. I know you're freezing and, you know, I'm sorry. Um, but we've got things to talk about, odds and ends here, as always. Let me see. Let me find them. What do I got here? What is this? This isn't. Well, something is lost here. Let me see. Uh, hmm. Well, this isn't one I looked at, but this is interesting. Uh, Okay, uh, let's see, the first one is, well, that wasn't, that was something different there. Uh, first one is, imported wines are taking over the American market. Yeah, you know, this is not good. I, I saw this and I'm thinking, taking over the American market, but they are. Uh, according to this article here, uh, the uh, uh, second spot in bulk wine uh, is now the United States. We were number one in bulk wine, and the primary wine exporting nations to the U.S. now are Spain, Italy, and France. We have fallen down to uh, third uh, to second place. Uh, in the bulk wine category and the wine exporting categories, bottled and everything, again, Spain, Italy, and France. And that's, uh, you know, in bulk wine particularly, it was uh, an average of 89 cents per liter, which it was up to 92, uh, no, 93 before that. And so that's quite a bit per liter. Now, you know, you're talking thousands and thousands of gallons here are liters and so that does make a difference uh, quite a bit of difference the export has increased from this is from 2015 to 2022 uh, that's as they do it in the five-year increments but because of COVID this survey was not done in 2020 and so therefore 2022 is latest but U.S. consumption increased by 62% for an all-time high in that period, and yet the U.S. bottling and U.S. Uh, imports, or U.S. exports have dropped and U.S. imports have raised, and our production has tapered off. The United States production has tapered off, which is not a good thing. The um, domestic wine market in the United States says a total, now this is in the United States as of this article, which was right after the first of this month. So it's uh, pretty current on this, yeah. Um, January the 3rd. So January 3rd, this article came out. So as of January 3rd of this year, there are seven. Uh, 17,371 bonded winery producers in 
all 50 states. Now, that bonded winery doesn't mean that they make wine, but it simply means that they sell it. Any winery that sells wine is required to be bonded, and that is... Uh, uh, it could be any any small storefront or anything. 97% of these producers fall into the small to limited production category. Okay, they can get wine from, um, you know, from somebody down the street and bottle their own and stuff and put it in the small winery. Despite the 80% increase in the number of producers, now this is, you know, since 2013, there's been a 14% decrease in vineyard surface over that same period. So we have increased, I thought there was only like 15,000 uh, wineries. This has jumped up considerably since last time I looked at the numbers for it, since 17,351. Uh, but the vineyard space has dropped by 14%. That is substantial when you start thinking about it. Uh, the thousands of new small wineries are starting to battle against each other, if you will, to try to get grapes and try to get shelf space, uh, particularly grapes. This is one of the problems. The more wineries you get, the more you're trying to battle to get grapes at a decent price. And if you can't get a decent price, it's going to cost more to produce, and therefore it's going to cost more to sell, and therefore it's going to cost you more money. And it's not just the small ones, it's all of them. Jeez, <coughs> oh, that cough comes back every Thursday. Um, but it's in uh, a gap between domestic production and consumption and that of import wines and international vineyards has got a larger and larger gap. And so it's starting to cause a difference in that, too. Uh, it's important also to recognize that the increase in imported wines is not something that just sort of, well, happened. It's not just random. Uh, these imports uh, have a lot of financial backing throughout the whole system that they're doing it. So the various foreign and domestic stakeholders are seeking to get as many U.S. consumers as possible. So even the U.S. people who have interest in these foreign wineries are bringing more foreign wines over to sell because they are selling better because it is cheaper to bring these over and sell them and they are selling in the grocery stores and what they can make here. Okay, uh, here are three points for you. Wine.com, which is the largest online wine retailer in the United States, 70% of their wines come from outside the U.S. That's a lot. There's another point. Proof by Southern Glaciers, 60% of their online SKUs are from outside the U.S. 60% from Southern Glaciers. 
and Total Wine and More, which is America's superstore, and that's what they build themselves as anyway. 56.5% of their online SKUs are from outside the U.S. So it's like everybody, but that wine.com, 70 prices there, and that's why people are ordering it. Um, imports are organized and trying to keep up uh, their, uh, their uh, face, uh, their name into it. A uh, good example is their involvement in sporting sponsorships. <coughs> oh, excuse me. Uh, last U.S. major sporting event, if you think about it, uh, was sponsored. Uh, the last one was sponsored by a domestic wine producer. Uh, uh, you know, you can't think of it. Gallo pinned a deal in 2022 to become the official sponsor of the NFL. But previous to that, what winery has been the face of any sporting event? Uh, there is none, that a domestic winery. For example, the Kentucky Kentucky Derby is sponsored by G.H. Mum, which is a champagne from France. The U.S. Open and many golf tournaments are sponsored by Kim Crawford. And you see her all over that winery, all over the TVs. That's from New Zealand. The NBA, National Basketball Association, sponsored by a French champagne company, Moet and Chandon. And Major League Soccer is sponsored by an Argentinian company, Trivento. And then last one on the list here is, uh, let's see, uh, Prosecco DOC Consortium sponsors Prosecco Week in the U.S. And they've been doing that for six consecutive years, doing the Prosecco Week. So... It's none that is sponsored by U.S. wine companies. Most all of them are foreign companies that you really see. There may be some small places here and there, but not too many. Here, uh, here's a good example. Uh, consider, for example, a, a Tennessee wine producer who's doing 2,000, 3,000 cases of wine, and he can't get national distribution because at 2,000, 3,000, the distributors don't look at him even. He could sponsor a sporting event in his neighboring state and somewhere around where he is and supply the event with wine, which would attract a wider customer base. And then he could sell to a few retail stores and a few customers, expanding the base a little bit more. And then as he's fulfilling these orders, it starts becoming logistically challenging to meet this. So he pulls in distributors, a three-tier distributor system, for uh, to, to get the wines out there. And then he also does some direct sales. 
this is no guesswork for the wholesalers. They receive a tried and true brand from a national distributor and it gives them national support. But this small winery has to keep up with the demand on this. If it can't or if it doesn't, then it's going to lose that distributorship. So it's uh, the whole premise of trying to get these out there and trying to get them to use or to sell American wines is sort of a catch-22 here and not in a good direction. Um, you know, the point being, lawmakers have to understand that U.S. wineries pay the taxes, create jobs. Uh, they use domestic stuff for just about everything they can. I know at the winery, when I had the winery open, I tried to do bottles and labels and everything domestic as much as I possibly could. Sometimes it costs more, but it was, in, in my opinion, it was worth it. It was better to do that. So they need to look at this. They need to look at the, how much it really affects the, uh, the domestic bottom line overall in the wine business. Um, and you say your wine is made in America. I think it does carry something instead of foreign, and we have a whole bunch of different wines here. So we need to do something here before it gets too late. Uh, vineyards all across the United States are getting ripped up. Uh, fruits being left to hang on the vine with no buyers. Uh, things like these wildfires and stuff like this have really hurt the demands for the fruit. Uh, the U.S. wine industry basically is struggling and needs more support of the domestic producers and consumers and legislatures to give a little boost to the American wine scene. And that needs to be done soon rather than later. Uh, it's I'm seeing so many reports that the domestic wine industry is having problems in different areas and distribution and stuff. And, you know, any legislatures out there, if you are in contact with the legislature, write them and tell them, you know, let's do what we can to support the American wine business without strangling it. So, so there you go. That's, uh, that is actually that's a paraphrase from the Craft Wine Association to most of that stuff I just read you there. So uh, it's uh, something that's, um, you know, not just me. That's stuff that's happening out there now. Speaking of wines, what is a normal tasting now? I saw this article. This is something else that's going to affect you. What is... What is the normal, what you expect from the tasting now? It, well, to begin with, it depends on where you are. But most people think of Napa in that area there whenever they think of tastings. So let's talk about that. Since the, the, the pandemic, which put a whole new twist on everything, 
uh, wine tastings have changed. Do you want a simple wine tasting where you walk in, set down, this is going to cost you X amount of dollars, I'll explain it to you and all that. Now, <clears throat> Florida State Winery was, we, we were charging $3.50 for a tasting. And that basically covered uh, the cost of a wine. Uh, a glass of wine ran three fifty to five dollars, depending what you got. And after you've had a tasting with all the wines we had, it was just about a glass that you ended up with, and that was three dollars and fifty cents. And you got the port was poured also, so that was like a bonus because that was more expensive. So. It was three dollars fifty cents, but we're again we're traveling out to Napa, and Napa tastings are more expensive. I mean, they have tastings in tree houses, and they have them on caves, and they have them on horseback, and it can cost anywhere from twenty-five dollars up to two hundred and fifty dollars. But of course, if you're riding a horse and you get a tasting with it, that's going to run you more money. But still, it's all part of the tasting. Yeah, uh, you know, and we can all remember, well, we all can't. I'm old enough, and I've been there, and I know. Uh, remember the days when Napa was free. Uh, when I first started to go up to Napa, you can go to numerous wineries, and it wouldn't cost you anything to try a few wines, as long as you didn't abuse it, as long as you continue to uh, respect the fact that you're not going to sit there and taste every wine that they have available. Uh, and, you know, say, okay, I like this style and this style, and you taste it, and you usually buy a bottle or two, and then you move on. That was what Napa was like. Well, you don't get that anymore. Uh, it's The prices for wine tastings have uh, really outpaced inflation. Uh, it's gotten seriously, seriously expensive to do tastings. Um what do people expect? Okay, this is the question. I mean, the complaints are there. I mean, the a Wall Street Journal wine enthusiast and San Francisco Chronicle have all brought up this point. They say that uh, for, well, a tasting, you go up to Napa, stay in a hotel room up there, you're looking at $1,300 a night. Uh, tasting fees, $225 per person. Uh, you know, And there are wineries that charge that. That's why so many people don't stay in Napa. They stay south and around San Francisco and stuff, which is cheaper. But uh, the problem is that the growth area is not in the millennials. The growth area is in the 60-plus age bracket. And the 60 plus age bracket is the ones that got the money and the ones that are doing the tastings. And this is the normal for them now because this is what they will pay. And younger people, and I've said this on other shows, <coughs> younger people are not doing wine as much as they used to. So, 
you go to Napa and you're going to expect to spend an average of $81 for a tasting. That is the average. All right. Uh, it's about three times what you'll find in Washington State if you go to Washington State and do a tasting, uh, which is going to run you about $26. Oregon, the average free there is $32. You get to other states, uh, go over to the East Coast, and you're going to find tastings that are going to run you around 15 to 20 $25. So it's going to make a difference. But another thing you guys consider, let's, for example, the grapes, a ton of grapes, uh, Cabernet Sauvignon, for example, is going to run you $8,820 a ton in Napa to get yourself Napa Cabernet Sauvignon. You go up to Worston, you get a ton of Cabernet Sauvignon there. It's going to cost you 1505 I mean, that's almost eight times more Seven, seven, eight times more to get Cal uh, to get a Napa Cabernet than it is to get Worston. Therefore, it's going to cost more to taste it. Now, uh, Tablas Creek, for example, uh, I, I get uh, an email from Tablas Creek. They very interesting email. In fact, I've mentioned the email address to you before, telling you. It's uh, interesting. It's one that you should, you know, check out. And it's a blog. It, and they tell about what's happening, um, what's happening at Tablas Creek and all that. But Tablas Creek says they charge $25 for tasting. But you get that comped if you buy two bottles of wine or if you're or if you sign up for the wine club. And if you're a member of the wine club or a member in the trade, they don't charge you for tastings at all. So that's, you know, one thing, you know, the $25, they can pretty much absorb that on that. But he says that the prices are trending upward. And it's something that they have to look at because the number of, or the number of people coming in who are used to cheaper prices are a little leery of paying any large tasting fee, especially in areas like Palsaropos, which is where Tablas Creek is located in different areas around the country. So you have to, these areas have to watch what their tasting fee is, but they can, they try to do different things to bring them in, try to do different things to, uh, get the customer a full experience, get the person coming in a full experience. Uh, for example, uh, the, uh, let's see, where is it here? Uh, it says other producers uh, are eager to bring in new wine lovers and are focused on figuring out how to deliver the best experience for them uh, that they can at a reasonable price. And very few don't charge now. You won't find, unless you find some, you know, a whole bunch of wineries, like when I went to uh, Kentucky, there was a bunch of wineries, and uh, you had to make a effort to get some of them. They don't charge. They uh, have, you know, let you taste three or four wines. If you do taste more, they will charge on them. 
but uh, that's it. But uh, it says, uh, let's see, uh, a, uh, let's see, in uh, New Mexico, here it is, uh, a uh, Rio Grande winery in New Mexico is, uh, has really upscaled it. They said they've invested in staff, facilities, and the overall experience uh, in hopes of drawing more millennials into the tasting room. They are seeing that as the future. A loungy vibe with an expansive patio, perfect for taking in the sunsets over the Oregon Mountains. And the flights start at $16. They have free live music. They have paint and sip events and food truck nights. Uh, the Rio Grande is pulling in around 5,000 visitors per year. Uh, Rio Grande Winery is the name of it. And about 25,000 visitors a year, which is sustainable, very, very much so. Uh, but they have put some money in their uh, lounge and all that stuff to try to get this, try to move these numbers up. Uh, they're saying that the enjoyment first, wine education second philosophy is becoming more and more predominant around the country. Uh, after the pandemic, everyone agrees that essentially the virtual tastings are over now. And so people have to change the way that they're doing tastings. You can still do virtual tasting. There's companies out there that do. In fact, we've interviewed them and they're still doing virtual tasting. And, you know, more power to them. It's, it's something that a lot of people enjoy and they still look forward to it. It can get expensive instead of going to the winery. And it's not as easy to buy the wines you want. Uh, but they offer uh, all sorts of stuff. It says uh, Yancey Stanforth McGlore, who is co-owner of White Cliff Vineyard and Winery, in Gardiner, New York, uh, says that he realizes that not everybody wants the same thing. Some people prefer to go outside with friends. Some want to chat inside. And others want to speak to the wine people. He said and it's hard to meet everybody, so they offer all sorts of stuff. They have a grab-and-go flight of five wines for $16 with written information on it paper they hand to them, or they can get a guided tour of six wines for 22, and it's face-to-face. Uh, -face. All sorts of new and different ways to do it. But if you're willing to pay for it, and there's wineries out there that are building it so you can pay for it. As example, the newly opened Saldo Salon in Napa is trying to completely set a new standard for tasting. Uh, they say, quote, we want to meet people where they are and create a dialogue that will not only push them further, excuse me, push them further along their journey, but also guide us. We offer a a la carte walk-in tasting by the glass and more extensive experiences. And it's really something that they do. At most tasting rooms, people hang for an hour and then they're out. 
but we want them to stay here. And the whole purpose of the space and the brand is to explore. Uh, they may be the only, uh, may be the first and only opportunity for folks to try their carbonic zimidol and a skin of fermented uh, fagalina alongside the classic Zen and red blend. But currently, the wine and culinary experience, if you go to um, I'll go to El, El Saldo Salon, uh, the um, Saldo, and by the way, Saldo Wine's parent company is the Prisoner Wine Company, which you very possibly could be familiar with that if you've ever seen Prisoner on the shelf. But currently, the wine and culinary experience is $175 per person. I know, I was staggered when I first saw that too. And that entails a Mexican-inspired, locally-sourced menu uh, with dishes like oysters with agua chili, aqua chili, uh, campiche tostadas, and chicken tamales with uh, mole sauce. So you get some fancy stuff, $175 per person. So... Uh, they said, we've had enough of the wine and cheese board experiences, and we want to move it to the next level. But, you know, really? I don't know. I, I, I have a hard time with that. And, you know, I, I don't know. If you don't have a hard time with it, good for you. And, you know, let me know what you think about it. You can always email me. I don't get very many emails, but this is something that, you know, how much are you willing to pay for tasting? How, I mean, I don't know. Um, there's a uh, Mount Salem Vineyards in Piston, Pittstown, New Jersey, uh, who uh, you can get five wine samples or a full glass for $15. That's what I was offering, you know. Samples are full glass. Uh, the private tasting requires an appointment, takes about 90 minutes, and includes six wines, and it costs $50 per person. And then they say every month they host a food and wine pairing, lunch or dinner for 55 or 90 depending on which one you get. Uh, they're invite-only events. So, you know, the new normal will never be the same in Napa or New Jersey or Texas or Pennsylvania or anywhere you go. It has passed. The days of going in and sitting down and, you know, saying, I'd like to try, you know, three of your wines or five of your wines and they'll pour it for you and you say, okay, give me a bottle of that and that. It, that's no longer. It's going to cost you. It's going to cost you to do a tasting just about anywhere. And again, if you have a local winery that's not charging, email me. Let me know. I I think most of them do now. So uh, they say that uh, the tasting, the cost of tasting is, and the new way they're doing it is trying to appeal to millennials. They said they've already got the older collectors, and they are hooked. They're doing it now, and we, me, I am an older collector, and I'm, I do my wines, and I know what I like, and I have been doing that. But they're looking at a new fan base. They have to get a new fan base because it's 
well, we old people are not going to be around forever, and they need to open it up to some younger people. So, but let me know. Let me know if you uh, if you have a winery around you, or if there's one you attend all the time, or something, and how much it costs for tastings, or what you're willing to spend on tastings. I'm really curious about that. If it's decent wine, I'm really I'm willing to go up to 25. But I tell you, I I can't I I, I can't do you know fifty seventy five hundred dollars like for a tasting of six wines or something. I just I, I stagger at that. Oh, oh all right. Uh, let's see. This next one here is what do you? Uh, Oh, I talked to you about uh, Sherry Lohman closing down last year. And uh, taking a bunch of people's wines and bottles and all that, there has been more crisis in New York throughout this past year. Uh, There's uh, wine storage places. There's a couple of wine storage places that are just – messing with people, just uh, screwing over people all over the place. Uh, one guy says he lost uh, wine, uh, which included two cases of 1982 Petrus Bordeaux, valued at $90,000. Uh, Chelsea Wine Storage was going out of business, and, you know, Sherry Lohman's going out of business. They... You know, took a bunch of people's wines and sold it and all that. But the uh, Chelsea Wine Storage was trying to retrieve wines and all that, and they kept telling people they didn't have them, and they were looking at different places, and they discovered them in the basement of a old uh, Taco Bell, was it? Let me see what this restaurant was that uh, they found them in. Oh, TGI Fridays. Uh, they found them in the basement of a closed TGI Fridays. A whole bunch of wine stacked up in, inside this store. Some of them, you know, no AC, some of them with uh, values of, well, but it said the total collections are looking at half a million dollars or more on some of these people. And they're mishandling some wines uh, that are valued. This one customer said that he had uh, over 1,200 bottles of wine with a value of anywhere from $100,000 to $200,000. And they were just sitting in the store with no AC and just in cardboard boxes and stuff. So uh, it's... It continues. The drama uh, continues. They said that they have a court date coming up in March, is it? Uh, yeah, they have a court date coming up in March, and they said that they don't expect these people to show up because they're not answering the phone anyway. Why should they show up for a court date? And even if they do, they put a, uh, a lien against all their stuff and all that. They don't care. When people do this stuff, they don't care. I'm saying some of the bottles they're finding that are located upstairs. Boy, that motorcycle is loud around the building, around the house. Uh, 
their uh, their sentence it's uh, doesn't make any difference because they're not going to return calls. They're not going to do anything, and they can have a judgment against them, and it, they don't care. And that's what's happening a lot of this stuff, you know. So beware if you're going to get any wine that you're going to store. I mean, there's a ABC Liquor down here has three or four different ABC Liquor locations where you can store wine. I think Total Wines does too, if I'm not mistaken. I think Total Wines might have a place where you can rent and store wines. I may be mistaken on that one. But there, uh, there's places out there, and when you start trusting other people and all that with what's going on, what be sure, be sure to do background checks and be sure they're insured and all sorts of good stuff because, you know, I mean, it's just it's scary that you can invest that much money into your wine and then have it disappear and and nothing you can do about it. Okay, let's see. What's this next one here? Oh, this is... Uh, uh, Oh, labeling wine, European labeling laws. I mentioned this, I think, last week or the week before last about the European labeling laws. And I just found out more about it here. It's uh, all the additions made to the wine, including allergens, uh, must be published. Okay, and the, the official term, it says, any substance or product, including flavorings, additives and food enzymes used in the manufacture of a food is classified as an ingredient. So therefore, grapes, sucrose, concentrated grape must, uh, also some of them add uh, tartaric acid, which is uh, acid regulator, uh, bottling gas, all that stuff has to be displayed. And it's all on the a mandatory list of ingredients. Uh, and it's, you know, it, it could be things like sulfur or egg whites or dried fish bladder and all this. Th these are all things, harmless ingredients, and uh, the chemicals are probably even less harmless, but all of this has to be listed on the new EU wine uh disclosure and additions list and most of them most of wineries are doing a qr code where you do that and it takes you to the list because they're not going to do the five page list on the wine bottle so that's happening but what surprised me is the ingredients do not include or cover viticultural inputs to the wine. Residues from, well, particularly in pesticides, insecticides and stuff, are not considered ingredients. So therefore, they don't have to be on the label. No, the ingredient list is just what is added in the winery. So if a farmer uses pesticides or chemical fertilizers 
or anything else out in the vineyard, then that's it. It goes to the, goes into the wine, and some of this stuff goes in, but it does not have to be listed when you have the when you put that list out of what's in the wine. So, isn't that a little odd that you have to put a list of all this other stuff, but that other stuff? Well, okay. So I just found that out. I'm going to share that with you. So when you get your imports from the European Union and you start looking at it, uh, what's in that wine, consider that nothing that the vineyard had on it is going to be added to it because that's not required. Okay, what's this one? Oh, genetic diversity of North American grapes. We have had experts on talk about North about native grapes uh, in uh, I can't think of the names now, but the guys came on and talked about it. interesting. I I posted on the Facebook page uh, the interview and the talk they had about them and all that. Very very interesting stuff. Well, they have now done the uh, genome biology of what they say. Uh, I don't think they did a whole, all of them because there's like hundreds of them. I think they did. Uh, let's see, what, where does it say here? I'm trying to find out how many. Uh, 12, 12 grapes that they have done the genome on. And uh, they call it the pangenome, uh, which it helps understand the grapes and it shows why they are resilient are tolerant of drought and have heat resistance and they're have a defense against Pierce disease and all that by looking at these genomes you can tell what it is and well possibly breed it into others I mean it's this is how we get a lot of grapes as they are anyway because we do crossbreeding and this is a good way to do it. Uh, the North American grapes are known for their resistance to disease and their adaptability, but they're not flavored for taste or for wine quality, whereas European grapevines are. I mean, Chardonnay, Cabernet, these though are less resistant to diseases and they do produce high quality wines. So uh, it, North American species and the genome for those has let us know what they are and what the difference is. And they can look at the genome of the European grapes, Vitus vinifera, and compare it to the American ones that they did. And it didn't say what ones they did here. They just said they did, you know, 12 of them. But they didn't say which ones. But they can look at the different ones and see where it is and do CRISPR, which is slicing out a little bit of the genome and putting it in the other. Genetic engineering, if you will. But it's not really because they call it CRISPR, which is something a little bit different. So, we'll see. <laughs> I love the way they get around it with these different words. But uh, if we can get these North American grapes to give us an idea of why they are resistant to these diseases and resistance to drought and all that, 
it very possibly could help us with grapes and grapevines all over the world. So the uh, E and J Gallo Winery and Louis P. Martini Winery have joined in and putting money into this research and helping this research along with UC Davis, University of California Davis. So it is an ongoing thing, but they have now done the genome of some Native American grapes and hopefully it will uh, open up new doors and new passages into making European grapes more adaptable, if you will. Okay, where's my, I keep losing my mouse. Uh, uh, okay, another, another quick thing here. Fewer French people are drinking wine. They used to be the big wine drinkers. Now they are dropping off, and they're dropping off fast. Uh, only about one in ten French say that they're pouring a glass of wine every day. This is a new study that just came out uh, first of this month, a uh, report covering wine consumption trends between 2015 and 2022. Say only 11% of the respondents say they drink wine every day or almost every day. Uh, this is 5% points lower than a previous study done in 2015. And in the 1980s study, when it was first done, around half of the French population drank wine daily or almost daily. Now that is down to, uh, what's the percent? Oh, geez, where is it? They're at 11 no, not so, right? 11%, 11%. Back in 1980, almost 50%. Now it's down to 11% that drink wines. Uh, oh, boy, the French are really falling behind. Uh, the decline in wine drinking comes uh, in uh, a complete overhaul of alcohol consumption uh, in France, as it is around the world. Uh, big majority of the people still consume wine, but not on a daily basis, this occasionally. So, and one last thing before I go, and I haven't mentioned it now, here's the last Thursday of the month, and I'm just now mentioning it, that January is dry month. You should not have been drinking it at all uh, during January, according to the things. It's uh, they're labeling January as dry month. You give up alcohol for the month. I did not. I, you know, if you decide to do so, more power to you, but I did not. And so. Yeah, it's a bad recommendation. Go. I don't understand that. I, why would we celebrate that? <laughs> I don't. That's why I wait until the last day of the month, I think, to, to say something about that yeah, because. Yeah. You know, but I, I think it is a dry month. What is it called? I, I think dry, dry January, I think is what it's referred to as. I've seen three or four things pop up that talk about dry January. Mm -hmm. And I think dry, why? You know, so. Yeah. Well, UC Davis, UC Davis says dry January. And then it says uh, giving up alcohol can mean better sleep. Really? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I know. Yeah. No. 
Some people like to have a glass of wine before they go to bed. They say, oh, it makes me sleep better. Mm-hmm. You know, so, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I I, I can't yeah. see it myself. I, you know. Must be all those things they're not putting on the label for you. Uh, That's it. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, uh, let's see. I don't know if you had any other uh, things to mention, but I, I do have a, an announcement, maybe two. Um uh. Coming up, oh, I should do this like a like a, a promo. Coming up Saturday, April the sixth. Uh, this no, Saturday. Saturday. Anyway, Saturday, Saturday uh, in April, <laughs> uh, Seminole Hard Rock Hotel and Casino in Tampa. It's the Big Smoke Whiskey Fest. Uh, oh, whiskey yeah. advocate and cigar aficionado. Big Smoke Whiskey Fest. I am sure Ron is going to go there along with the uh, cigar aficionados that he meets with uh, and does uh, the show there. And let me check. Oh, maybe not. Or maybe Ooh, not. General admission is $345 for general admission. Whoa, Whoa that took me back. That, <laughs> that took me back. That's only for 6.30 p.m. to 9.30 p.m. Three hours. Wow, that's, that's three hours for three hundred and forty-five. One, one Churchill cigar. Mm. You, you know, that's well, in three hours. That's about one Churchill cigar. Yeah. And Churchill's a long one. Man, it's bigger one. You know. See, I have no idea. I'm not a smoker of that yeah. yet, but uh, still interesting. Uh, it says collect and smoke thirty plus top rated cigars and sample over one hundred premium whiskeys very quickly between six thirty and nine thirty p.m. And enjoy meeting the cigar makers, distillers, and blenders uh, behind your favorite brands while you smoke, eat, and relax at an enormously fast speed. Uh, VIP admission now. 5.30 p.m. to 9.30 p.m., so you get in an hour early, costs just $445. Oh, well, I might just go, you know. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's, there you go. For three hours but, uh, or four hours, I mean. I don't, that's Saturday. Are they giving you cigars, I wonder? Does it say that you I actually did get cigars? Or that. do you purchase them there? or? Did they say any of that? I'm guessing it's uh, it says sample over a hundred premium whiskeys and spirits, so I'm guessing part of that you're getting something there. It have to. Yeah, because uh, you're not going to be able to make it. You know, 150 whiskeys and spirits. You're not going to make it to 150 of them in three hours. No. The time you um, fight through the crowd, and there will be a crowd, no matter how much it costs. There will be a crowd. The time yep. you fight through the crowd. Um, Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can taste them all. But I, you know, I you would right. think that they would like that. hard rock. Mm-hmm. You know, and if they allow smoking, I don't think they allow smoking in hard rock. And I thought they did in the casino. Oh, did I they? Mean, I was there. They used to when I like ten, fifteen years ago was I think it was the last time I went in the casino port, and it, it was like a, a a a damn chimney on fire. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh my god, it's just like being in. I remember Vegas. Vegas was, uh, um, I, I think they invented uh, cigarette smoke and all that stuff, but people were smoking oh, yeah. in the casino. Uh, mm. So, um, but, you know, yeah, some people, you I know. saw them. But cigars, can you imagine a room, an area with oh, yeah. all these cigars being lit for three hours? I mean, oh my gosh. 
Yeah, I can't imagine that. So. Industrial Ooh, fans um, sucking it out. Yeah. Could be. Um, but uh, so, you know, if you got the money, you got the cash. Uh, I mean, if you're going to go there and gamble it away anyway, why not uh, go to an event and, and, you know, see what it's all about? It's a uh, big smoke week Saturday at the Seminole Hard Rock Hotel and Casino right down the road from here uh, and from you, I'm sure, uh, in yeah. Tampa, Florida. Uh, yeah, that's there. Uh, let's see. Posted on the uh, Facebook page for the uh, for Flightline about uh, the closing uh, Joe's Picker Place. If you want to travel there, uh, they I believe they're going to be open till the end of the month, um, and they are selling some stuff. So get there while there's stuff to get. Uh, located Which is only next Thursday or next, next Wednesday. It that's, is, isn't it? Yeah, I just realized that. I thought, oh man, we got like three weeks. No, 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 it's Wednesday. Uh, Get there while you can, while there's things uh, to be to be gotten for sure, and make a deal on on something that they have in the store. Uh, 104 Commonwealth Avenue, Southwest in Polk City, that's in Florida, right off the uh, the Big I four there, just a little bit yeah. north of that yeah. in Polk City. Uh, yeah, and uh, wish them the best. Hope uh, hope they they find a new venue and. Uh, I get some success there. So um, yeah, really. Yeah, they did a lot. Uh, a really cool place. Um, so I found that in the uh, that ad for uh, Whiskey Fest in Wine Spectator uh, right. magazine. Thank you very much. This month it looked like the mailman. I don't know. Accidentally dropped it out of his jeep while he was going down the interstate. Uh, picked it up yeah. and scraped it uh, down the street again. It's it's mangled. And turn your mailbox. Yeah. I haven't gotten mine yet. You... Mine should be in tomorrow. Oh, really? You got yours. Yeah. yeah. I usually get it before you. I, yeah. Yeah. I got mine in. I need some some uh, tape or something to put it back together again. But uh, yeah, it's definitely yeah. definitely mangled. Um, wow. But uh, it's a good read. There's a lot of good good information in there. And uh, there always is. That, yeah. You know, we've, uh, John's talked about quite a few, so uh, you know, read along or whatever. Um, we are done. I believe we have. Let me check for next. Uh, no, February. Is that next week? That is next week. Next, next Thursday, yeah. um, we should have a guest. Uh, I'll tell you about that. However, I was going back in my memory because I remember what all the shows were about. August twenty fourth, <laughs> we talked to Clark Smith. Clark Smith is an author, oh, educator, wine industry. Yeah. Uh, and he is a uh, the editor of Appalachian America, has like 30,000 pages, and he is an expert on Native American grapes. And as soon as you, expert. you were talking about it, I go, oh, I know exactly who he's talking about because Clark I memorize all the shows. You do, yeah. yeah. You're, yeah, you're very good about you, Your mind is just a, a still trap when it comes to information. Photosynthesized, what do they call it? Photo, photosynthesized brain, yeah. Photosynthesized mm-hmm. brain, yes. That's what it is. <laughs> we might coin a term there. It might be. So next week uh, we'll have uh, uh, we should have Denise Thornberry um, with the Tasting House, a tasting experience, and uh, we'll give you more information and all that stuff. And there should be a guest next week yeah, on next February week. the first. Wow! Already for that. January is done. Dry January is done. You can start drinking uh, Thursday. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Never stopped. Never stopped. <laughs> <don't> <laughs> it's kind of a... 
Every time, every uh, time I hear an advertisement, are they, somebody met, I go, oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and that's the end of it right there. Yeah, yeah that was it. Um, let's see what else. <clears throat> I had to cough there. All right, uh, we'll talk to you all next week. Thank you for tuning in. Have a great weekend. Uh, be safe and uh, thank you for tuning in. Check out my show Saturday morning, too. Don't forget that. Yeah, and we'll see you next <laughs> yeah. week. Thanks for listening. Be safe out there. This concludes tonight's broadcast of All About Wine with your host, Ron. For show information, links to All About Wine on Twitter and Facebook, or to be a guest on this show, visit the show website at www.allaboutwinebtr.com. Archived shows are available for download on iTunes or on our show page at blogtalkradio.com forward slash allaboutwine. Thank you for listening. Drink responsibly, and we'll see you next time on All About Wine. All about wine. All right, there we go. Oh, and the